Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Sex is the life force energy that runs through us all. Can you use sexual energy for your spiritual evolution or perhaps for emotional healing? Is it even possible? Clinical sexologist Dr. Martha Tara Lee will explore all these and more on Eros Evolution on Home Times Radio. Hello, hello, and welcome to Arrow's Evolution. This is where sexuality and spirituality meets. My name is Martha. I'm a clinical sexologist uh, with a doctorate in human sexuality and uh, master's in counseling now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm from Arrow's Coaching. That's erscoaching.com. And uh, welcome to today's show. Today we'll be talking about moving from shame to courage. And... Um, it's not often that uh, we have an episode focusing on shame, and it's a really important uh, topic. And we are going to be with Dr. Shameless. Uh, she calls herself Dr. Shameless, and she guides people regardless of age, gender, identity, experience, and anything else on a journey from sexual shame to courage in order to be your most authentic sexual self. Her approach has people examine the origins of shame, deconstruct the validity of shameful self-talk, identify the harm shame causes, and create a new paradigm embracing the bold, genuine, and healthier attitude living beneath the surface. So Dr. Shameless has a passion around joy, personal growth, and pleasure for pleasure's sake. More about her, she's a licensed clinical professional counselor practicing in Las Vegas, Nevada. She's a clinical sexologist and holds the, doc the degree of Doctor of Human Sexuality. So her friends describe her approach to life as unapologetic. So it sparked an introspective examination of what that meant and why others didn't live that way. She is the byproduct, she's a product, sorry, of coming of age in the early 1980s in the US when HIV and AIDS made their way into the popular sorry, Venezuela and virginity was at a premium and girls were required to function as sexual behavior gatekeepers. She strives to embolden people to enjoy the gifts of sexuality and pass them on to future generations. So you can follow Dr. Shameless by going to the website. That's drshameless.com. Uh, same on um, Twitter and uh, Facebook, uh, except you add uh, 702, kind of James Bond code, I guess. <laughs> and uh, her office includes downloadable worksheets and information, individual coaching therapy, and 
workshops. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. So in this show, I call you Dr. Shameless. So just for <laughs> listeners out there, is there any reason why um, you're not using your real name? Yes, thanks for asking. So here in Nevada, I'm a licensed clinical uh, professional counselor and therefore governed by a, a board of examiners that are at the state level. And one of the things that sort of falls in a gray area are areas of sexuality where there might be a misperception of things like body work or sensual massage or things like that that might be affiliated with Dr. Shameless. Um, <clears throat> that they might construe as being part of my private practice, and I just don't want to risk my licensure at this time before those things are cleared up. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's uh, basically just creating a different identity for different aspects of your practice. Correct, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so Dr. Shameless doesn't have anything to hide. It's just that it's important for the sake of clarity to separate those mm -hmm. identities. And uh, it's, it's important because she's putting a lot of effort into her training and uh, it doesn't make sense to lose her licensure um, for the good work that you do. Right, right. And I, and I appreciate that opportunity to clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, so uh, we, we, uh, you started to explain in your... Um, profile about why you call yourself Dr. Shameless. So your friends uh, describe you as unapologetic. And yeah, um, was... that started you on this journey to explore what that meant for you. Is that right? It did. It was interesting. I was living with a male roommate, strictly in a platonic way. We were just friends. And I found myself thinking about that I needed to explain or defend myself in terms of any, you know, sexual behaviors or any, you know, interludes or experiences. And I, and I didn't want to have to defend or explain myself. And I, and I thought about that and I mentioned to him, I might go out, I might not come home, I might bring someone home and, and I'm hoping that's okay with you. And he said, you know, what I love about you is that you live your life unapologetically. And it really struck a chord with me. So I started thinking more and more about that and realized that it goes deeper. And in hearing stories from clients and friends about infidelities and indiscretions and um, not being fully honest with a, a committed partner, that people seek out ed experiences and opportunities with others because of shame that they feel and reactions they've gotten from a main partner. And I wanted to help mm. with that problem. Mm. Yeah. So shame uh, really affects our sexuality. So what what made you decide uh, to focus on this area? Because it sounds like a lot of your work uh, seems to emphasize in the area between uh, shame and sexuality. Yeah, I think that a lot of times, unfortunately, especially in Western culture, there's such a premium placed on the idea of fidelity. And when infidelity happens due to, let's say, a shame-related uh, philosophy or shame-related um, self-identity, then things like marriages and families can become tragically and un unnecessarily broken up. 
because what can happen is somebody decides that they want to broach the subject of a kink or a fetish or an activity with their partner, and if they're met with ridicule or shame or judgment, they probably won't seek that activity with their partner again. They might go outside of that relationship to seek that activity. And then if that is discovered, then a lot of times a partner will choose to end that relationship because they feel betrayed. And I, I think the, the, the consequences to that are very disproportionate to the behavior. Mm. Yeah, and the, the person who chooses to end the relationship, however, um, probably doesn't have the level of sex education and awareness that we have. So what, what do you think could be done uh, or should be done uh, in those cases? That's a great question. And honestly, that's a question sort of at, um, let's call it a, a, a national level or a, or a humanitarian level and also down to the family and individual level. And so if we break that up, I think at the kind of national slash humanitarian level, understand, working in a movement to help promote the idea of sex for pleasure's sake, of everyone having the right to their own sexuality and their own experiences, and their own sexual identity is a movement that we should, you know, as, as workers in this industry, we should encourage as well as spread the word to other folks and make it palatable, increase understanding and make it accessible. Make that idea of pleasure for pleasure's sake and authenticity as a very, as a norm, instead of the way most Westerners see it as a source of shame and scandal and <clears throat> secrecy. That's kind of the, the 30,000 foot level. On an individual level, um, I feel like there can be conversations where we build greater awareness around identifying our own sources of shame or judgment, recognizing them, and then working to curtail them, and then pointing them out when they occur in our, in our dear friends and our close social circles. You know, and they can be those really subtle, seemingly little things, like somebody decides to disclose that they have bisexuality-related fantasies, and a, a good friend might say, oh, my God, that's weird, or I wouldn't tell that to everybody. Calling them out on that mm -hmm. and saying, why isn't that okay, and why shouldn't I be comfortable in expressing who I am and what I want? Everybody gets to advocate for themselves and, and live their own lives. And giving people that mm -hmm. courage to do that is, is a lifelong challenge. In the United States, mm. there's been a push recently for there to be very restrictive sex education. Um, even here locally, it's an ongoing battle we face in, in the county where I live, in Clark County, um, to just have simple things like contraception information and gender identity information as part of the school curriculum. So there are so many different facets and kind of spokes of these wheels that need work and I just want to do my part. That's fantastic. I yeah, it's it's uh it really does feel like one step forward, two steps back uh in uh, in times and um the 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 work, the advocacy, the uh pushing forward with the importance of sex education, uh this work just that never seems to end. And uh, it's really important uh, to realize that a lot of what is happening with our clients 
uh, has a lot to do with the climate, like you mentioned just now, the national level, the family level, and also the individual level. So, you know, you mentioned uh, pleasure for pleasure's sake. So some listeners may not really understand what that means. So I think it'll be useful to uh, flesh it out a little bit. Certainly. Um, the idea that sexuality and sexual behavior uh, doesn't necessarily have to serve any other purpose than physical and um, emotional pleasure. And that can be a foreign concept or at least an uncomfortable idea for a lot of folks. Much of that has mm. to do with um, cultural gender roles. A lot of that comes from ideas uh, deeply held in religions. And some of that has to do strictly with access to reproductive health care and the ability to enjoy sexuality with a reduced fear of getting sick, getting ill. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yes, we have a break and uh, we'll come back uh, after this and uh, flesh this out a little bit more. We're with Dr. Shameless and we are talking about moving from car- uh, shame to courage today. So stay tuned. Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Hi. I'm Kelly Fox, host and astrologer of The Astrology Show. Each week, I'll give you access to the current transits, which are a valuable tool that provide astrological information to help unlock the potential each of us has. Understanding the stars can help steer us in the right direction to make better informed choices. So if you're wondering what's going to happen in your week ahead, be sure to tune in to The Astrology Show for guidance. Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. The majority of victims know their attacker. It could be your friend, your neighbor, or someone you met at a party. If you said no, it's rape, and it's a crime. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN. Call the National Sexual Assault Hotline today at 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. And welcome back. You're on Eros Evolution or Eros Evolution. And I'm a marker and I'm the host. And uh, I'm from Arrows Coaching and I'm with Dr. Shameless. And you can find her at drshameless.com. So you're listening to this show on the Om Times Radio Network and you can share this show with your friends by going to the link omtimes.com forward slash mobile. So with this link, you'll be able to listen to the show without needing to download any app. So today we are talking about moving from shame to courage. And just before the break, Dr. Shameless was explaining to us the importance of having pleasure for pleasure's sake. So she started to talk about how we are affected by culture, religion, and of course, all these reproductive messages that we get. So what uh, is there anything else that you would like to elaborate on, Dr. Shameless? I would, thank you. 
I feel like growing up in the United States and in, you know, just Western culture in general, one of the pervasive messages we received as women is that we are to tolerate sex. We are to gift it to our partners and that there really isn't an okay time for us to, to enjoy it for itself and to derive any physical pleasure from it. And I think that's an incredibly incorrect and dangerous message that's been pervasive and kind of shoved down our throats, unfortunately. Creating that shift, yeah, creating that shift in our culture and in our, you know, kind of um, identity as humans is, is a really important piece of deconstructing shame. Because even even if we think about something as simple as being vocal during sex, so somebody moaning for pleasure or emitting a you know a, a scream or a, an exclamation, sometimes that's been viewed with uh, you know parallels being drawn to well that's just slutty behavior or you know that's inappropriate or that's not very becoming of a lady, and so we get definitely um, discouraged from enjoying pleasure and and just enjoying sex for pleasure's sake. And if we're going to get rid of shame, we have to get rid of that idea. Yeah. So when you say uh, this, uh, our sexuality being gifted to our partners, it suddenly comes to mind uh, those people that I know of who get really angry when they catch their partner masturbating or watching porn or basically expressing their sexuality in any way without them. And it really certainly feels like their sexuality uh, when they get together uh, with a partner uh, now belongs to them. So this is really important uh, to be talking about pleasure for pleasure's sake because I feel that it's important because it allows us to feel alive, juicy, yummy, and um, Mm -hmm. that contributes so much to our happiness. I agree, and I and I think it allows us to be whole. I mean, if we look at, you know, journals in, in terms of neonatal medicine and um, pregnancy and gestation, we know there's 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 indisputable evidence that both that all genders masturbate in the womb. So fetuses are masturbating. So sexual pleasure is there with us from the very beginning. And to denounce it and to deny it as we get older is really counterintuitive and counterproductive to living a whole authentic life. Mm. So it's it's very interesting that when we are kids, you know, we are encouraged to be creative and we do role play and we go into fantasy and suddenly as an adult, uh we don't we don't give ourselves permission to do that. And I get a lot of questions uh being thrown to me like uh is it normal to fantasize? Is it right? Is it okay? So a lot of uh, our work as sexologists seems to be giving permission to our mm-hmm. clients, and um, this this really makes them feel uh, completely disempowered. So this is uh, kind of right up what you are saying about how shame is showing up. So how else is a shame showing up uh, needlessly in a catastrophic kind of way in our relationships? You think? I really believe one of the biggest contributors to shame is religion, unfortunately. I think there's a lot to be said for religion in terms of guiding principles and ethics, and and there are lovely aspects to religion. Unfortunately, I feel like in the past hundred years or so, there's been very much of a shift to using so-called or pseudo-religious tenets to police people 
and to create a culture of shame and to um, just make it so that people are feeling either punished or outed or living outside of an authentic, you know, spiritual life if they share certain preferences or share certain fantasies or, you know, likes of, you know, activities. So that's one area mm. that I think needs to be examined and at many times deconstructed. I feel like um, body image and just physicality is another source of incredible amounts of shame, especially, I don't even know if it's especially for women anymore. I think that men are being body shamed just as much as women are sometimes. And the, you know, the yeah. mass marketing, yeah, that kind of that ideal body type leads to a lot of feelings of shame and um, just lack of um, adequacy. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that all these uh, things uh, show up in our relationships. Um, a few weeks ago, I was reading this article um, in a magazine, and it talked about a woman who's never had her makeup removed in front of her partner and uh, wow. had all these uh, eyelash extensions uh, even when she's sleeping because she just can't bear the idea of being told that her eyes were not big enough. And um, mm. I think these things uh, does show up in our relationships, and um, you know we are not just we are not free and we are not open to being ourselves. Right. I come across a lot of folks who um, have either been engaging in infidelity or are worried about infidelity or in, in those kinds of areas because of inhibition in their sexual lives with their partner because somebody a long time ago said they had flabby underarms or there's a belly roll or their breasts are two different sizes and so they don't want their partner to see them with the lights on and they won't ever let their partner see them standing up naked and it just leads to such um kind of buzzkill it just sort of kills the mood and it makes it so that the focus shifts away from pleasure and mutual exploration and focuses instead on <clears throat> reassurance and making somebody feel better about themselves in an in a in a way that it's never going to happen externally. Mm. So I feel what happens is we actually get um, traumatized by these messages that we get in some way, or we replay them over and over in our heads. Uh, and um, this becomes our reality, that is this inability to be able to filter information, especially when you're a kid. And so these, um, these messages uh, start to really infect, affect our lives. And I think as adults now, we need to be able to heal ourselves so that we can move mm -hmm. on fearlessly and courageously. I think this is exactly what you're talking about having courage to heal ourselves and move forward and go and move away from shame. So how do you suggest that we can begin to do that? Great. Thank you. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. I just want to touch on one thing before we look at the solution sure. for shame is a, is a point that you just brought up. As adults, we are living with the products of what happened as children. So for all the parents listening out there, please take this message as a, a suggestion and a, a coaching tip for raising the next generations. The more we instill shame in children, the longer this problem persists. So I think that part of it, yeah, part of solving this shame issue 
involves identifying the origins of shame. So whether it came from religion, whether it comes from media, whether it comes from an abusive partner, whether it comes from family uh, messaging, whether it comes from um, their own identity and physicality, whether it comes from history of sexually transmitted diseases, whether it comes from pregnancy-related changes in our bodies, there are so many origins of shame. So part of it is sort of looking at it and saying, what are the messages I hold near and dear about sexuality? Where did they come from? Do they still resonate with me? Mm. What was the person that when I got the message originally, do I know what the intention was? So I can think back to times in high school um, as a product of, uh, you know, growing up in the 80s. And the idea was girls were supposed to retain virginity because the AIDS epidemic was rampant and we were having our highest rates of unintended teen pregnancy. So basically, the Mm -hmm. girls were told, you're to not have sex. Well, so if a woman, if a girl takes that from the 1980s and carries that message through, I'm supposed to say no to sex. That was the message we got as kids. It's a pretty hard message to undo. So what we might do is look at, yeah, we'll look at the intention behind that message. Well, back then, they didn't understand AIDS and HIV. We had a very puritanistic outlook on female sexuality in terms of pleasure. And so the intentions were to avoid unintended pregnancy, to maintain, quote, unquote, um, you know, dignity, and to not get a sexually transmitted infection. So if we take a woman in her 40s right now, and we look at those intentions, does saying no to sex make sense? Well, we're, we, we know how to control pregnancy. We know how to you know, lower our risk for transmission of STDs. And if we've embraced this idea that women are able to enjoy sex for sex sake and pleasure, then we don't have to worry about this perceived dignity piece. So examining the origin, examining the origins, looking at the intentions behind them, and then really looking inside of ourselves to figure out if we still identify with and resonate with those values from long ago is a first step to dismantling shame. Definitely. So basically we're using our uh, coaching questions to get ourselves to reflect and um, the answers will heal the parts of us that still hold on to shame. It's really important to start to coach ourselves uh, where there are no coaches available or coach ourselves so that we start to basically adult ourselves and then we grow up. Exactly. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing at least right now in the United States in terms of the Me Too movement and the onslaught of accusations of sexual harassment and sexual assault by many people and the the shift, the, the sea change that we're, that is happening right now in terms of not being afraid to come forward and that the onus it has now shifted on the people who have, have been perpetrating these wrongs, they are the ones that are now feeling shame for doing those bad acts, whereas the victims or the people who have been perpetrated against are finding power. And I feel like using that movement can be an incredibly um, helpful tool in reducing shame in all aspects of sexuality. It's unfortunate that it came yeah, to this, but we might as well take advantage. 
Mm, yes, it's definitely true. So you're talking about the Me Too movement. So uh, let's talk a little bit about it after this break. Great. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times. Co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted. What's up? This is Brad and Mike from Lincoln Park for Life Beat, the music industry fights AIDS. Listen up, times are tough and you get a lot of things thrown your way. If you're being pressured to have sex and you're not ready, then say no. If you're having sex, be smart and use protection. Respect yourself and protect yourself. For more information, call the National AIDS Hotline at 1-800-342-AIDS or log on to www.lifebeat.org. Welcome back to Eros Evolution. This is where sexuality and spirituality meet. And this is Martha, and we are with Dr. Shamler. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor practicing in Las Vegas, and she's also a clinical sexologist with a doctor in human sexuality. You can find her at docshameless.com. And uh, today we've been talking about shame and what is been doing uh, to our relationships, how we can begin to heal ourselves with asking ourselves uh, some very simple uh, coaching questions. And uh, yes, you can definitely go back and replay this episode. What you can do is uh, go to the station, that's uh, Om Times, and um, retrieve this uh, episode, uh, Moving from Shame to Courage. You can also go to my page, that's Arrows Evolution at a Glance. Just Google Arrows Evolution at a Glance, and you'll be able to find all the episodes um, there. So, yes, we were talking, uh, uh, starting to talk about the Me Too revolution. So uh, tell us a little bit more uh, what it is and um, um, how this is uh, uh, shifting the climate uh, of uh, things. Definitely. So, um Several weeks ago, there was a um, a re uh, uh, revitalization of the Me Too movement that actually began about ten years ago, in an effort to reduce shame around uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment, and basically to create community and create a safe space for folks that had been assaulted, victimized, harassed, and many other ways sexually violated to create a a catchphrase, an identifier, much like in in the AA movement of Do You Know John, 
and that's how some um, folks in recovery can help identify other folks in recovery, a woman decided to start this movement as a very easy way to find community around other people that had been victimized. And then it was revitalized several weeks ago and has gained incredible support and incredible attention in the media, uh, along with the Harvey Weinstein accusations and then several other people in the popular media, as we all know, politicians, actors, all kinds of things. And what's important to realize is that you don't have to be a famous person to, have, to be a perpetrator or a victim. Sexual assault and harassment occurs in every walk of life, in every socioeconomic status, in every part of the world. What I think is shifting is the idea that a person who's been assaulted has something to be ashamed about by talking about it, and it is shifting to holding people accountable for those bad acts and those bad behaviors. So I feel like it's a great and opportunistic time to look at reducing shame on lots of different levels and um, proactively. It doesn't need to get to the point of sexual assault or harassment for us to be moving from shame to courage. Mm, definitely. And uh, we can actually deal with shame in uh, little areas of our lives as well, in all areas, little ones as well. So what about when shame comes up or shows up uh, in at the heat of the moment, you know, um, little things that come up? I think yeah. I I uh I refer to it like uh, how we um parent or talk to ourselves in our head. Right. I think that a lot of the messages that repeat on loop over in our head were ingrained in there as we talked about earlier from childhood or from past partners. They've been there so long we don't even think about them. Like I bet if we really thought about it, we don't even know which hand we use to brush our teeth. It's automatic. It's something that we don't think about or give any kind of consciousness to. Sometimes those are the messages that replay in our heads over our bodies, over our abilities, over our responses in terms of sexuality. So what might happen is a person might have decided long ago, based on some shame-based um, idea, that they shouldn't be the recipient of oral sex because of a certain taste or a certain smell or a, a certain look. And they've gotten that message so ingrained and entangled into their psyche that when they meet a partner and that partner suggests it, their reaction is so hostile and so aggressive and um, so vehement. They're like, no, oh my God, no, you can't do that. Oh, no. So what we end up with is, is basically shame spilling over. Because that person, the, the per potential recipient, is coming from a place of shame because they don't want to be the recipient because they have a notion in their head that there's something wrong with their genitals, that they're not a good oral sex recipient partner, and that they shouldn't do this because of some, some badness about them, something that's bad about the way they are. Unfortunately, what also happens is when they have that vehement and indignant re response, the person who asked oftentimes will question themselves and say, oh, my God, did I ask something bad? Did I ask something wrong? Am I weird for wanting to perform oral sex? Then that has a trickle-down effect and a domino effect, and they might start to develop a shameful attitude toward offering oral sex. And we have this horrible domino effect. 
Yeah, I mean, we start to question and doubt ourselves because of reactions of other people and they themselves are, I don't know, like sexually ignorant and uh, wounded themselves. So this uh, change just never starts to, continue, uh, starts to end really and it just keeps continuing. So it's really important that um, we get clear and um, I certainly got a lot of healing because of the education that I received uh, as part of my training. And um, yeah, yeah. So, what what do you think um, um, all of us can be doing besides uh, asking ourselves coaching coaching questions? What else can we be doing? Great question. I think that there's a a bit of a three part answer. So, shame lives in places of secrecy, silence, and judgment. So, if we think about secrecy, in order to conquer that, we need to basically let someone in. We need to to talk to somebody about what we're feeling. We need to have a conversation about it. We need to allow vulnerability. We need to say, mm. I'm really worried that because my labia protrude a lot, that my vulva won't be attractive to you. And that's the reason that we can only have sex with the lights off. So getting to that place of being able to first identify the source of shame I don't like the way my labia looks. I've been told that protruding labia or floppy lips are unattractive. Um, I've, I've heard that message. I've checked in with that message and realized I'm not really sure where it came from, and I'm not really sure it resonates with me anymore, and I want to get rid of that idea. So what we do is we share that with a trusted partner or person to talk about it. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be an intimate partner. It could be your closest girlfriend. It could be a sister. It could be a mom. But giving voice and taking it out of the darkness and into the light can be a first step to conquering us. So then maybe this trusted friend or partner or mom or somebody says, oh, my God, no, that's absolutely normal. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. And here, let's look on the Internet or let's look at the book Petals by, you know, Mr. Karras. And let's look at all the different shapes and sizes and colors that labia come in and realize there's no right one, no good one, no perfect one. And then replacing our negative self-talk with positive self-talk. My labia are beautiful. My vulva is attractive. I'm fine just the way I am. So we get rid of the self-judgment. We get rid of the negative shaming messages that we perpetuate within our own heads. That's, these are, I think, the greatest and most effective steps at getting rid of shame. Definitely. So it's important to bring it into the light, talk about it, and to be vulnerable. I think there are, pe there are so many people who are afraid of being hurt that uh, they don't talk about um, what is really in their mind. And because of that, it continues to weigh on them and affect their lives and, of course, their level of happiness. Right. And, and, uh, and getting to that vulnerable, sp vulnerable space can be incredibly scary. Like you said, people are worried about getting hurt and people are worried about being mocked or further shamed or having judgment cast on them. But what we need to remember is a, is a, a statement that we've heard all throughout our lives. We are our own worst critics. The chances that somebody else is going to chime in and um, agree with and, and align themselves with our internalized perceived shame is pretty small. Like, I don't think that there are going to be a lot of 
close friends or good partners out there that are going to say, you know, you're right, you really are kind of smelly. And you know what, if we happen to find that person, then maybe either we say, wow, is that true? And, and you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, there's a, a, a medical condition I need to look into, or maybe there's a different soap I could use or something like that. And then say, you know, would you go with me on this journey to see if it can change or check in with someone else and get a second opinion. But I think that, that being that vulnerable can in, indeed be incredibly scary. The interesting thing is if people want to move out of shame, they're going to have to do something different. So doing the same thing over and over again is going to yield the exact same result. And if we're not living our authentic, sexual, full selves, then by not doing anything, we're just going to stay there and we'll be stuck. Mm. Yeah. So culture plays a big role in uh, in that, you know, us feeling uh, what's normal and deviant, right? Definitely. I um you know, we can we can look as, as close as Europe to the idea of kind of condoned uh, extramarital affairs, mistresses, whatever you want to call it. And that's a very different concept than here in the United States, where that would be seen as scandalous. We can look at anything like it, like even an open relationship. And until very recently, that would be viewed with mockery, contempt, and a lot of judgment from a lot of um, big institutions and ingrained places. So culture plays a huge role. If we're talking about things like fetishes, like BDSM, you know, our, our, our culture and our laws and our societal rules play a lot into this. People are still at risk of losing their children to child protective service organizations if they engage in BDSM behaviors. That's a reality that people face. So if basically the message you're getting is from a child protective organization that your lifestyle is not conducive to the healthy raising of children, it's going to be hard to reject that idea of shame about your lifestyle. That's a pretty big obstacle to overcome. So a lot of these things are very much societally based, culturally based, and systemically based. And so there's a lot of work to do, and we can only start with ourselves. So it's, it's individuals mm -hmm. first. Yes, that's really important. So we have one minute to break. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say okay. or elaborate on? Yeah, I think that um, I would I would just a ask people to kind of take a moment and ponder to themselves, you know, we can start with a, a positive message. What do I love about my sexual self? What do I celebrate about my sexual self? And then maybe take the risk of having that conversation with a trusted friend or partner. If we start out with the positive, it can be a lot less scary. So looking for mm. things to celebrate and looking for things to say I'm proud of or that I'm happy about, and that can create that atmosphere and environment of that safe space of having these conversations, especially when they get scarier, to this is something I don't feel good about, this is something I worry about, this is something I have shame around. So starting with the positive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, a, it's so important to be able to dialogue about it because I think our friends do do a big part in normalizing things for us. Definitely. Okay, so yeah, we have a break and uh, we'll come back for the last 15 minutes of the show. Great.
best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio, your conscious lifestyle on steroids. The number one reason girls drop out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is lack of access to feminine hygiene products. The Pads for School Girls Project, an outreach of Humanity Healing International, is changing this paradigm by setting up sewing programs at schools, teaching girls a vocational skill, while producing the reusable pads that help keep them attending classes. The girls pay it forward by making and giving pad kits to other girls in need. To learn more, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. It's on us to stop sexual assault. To get in the way before it happens. To get a friend home safe. And to not blame the victim. It's on us. To look out for each other. To, to not, not look, look the, the other way. way. It's on us to stand up. To step in. To take responsibility. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Welcome back to the last 15 minutes of today's show. And um, in this show, we always explore the link between sex and spirit. And so I haven't asked Dr. Shameless for today. Uh, what do you see is the link between sex and spirit for you? Great. I think, you know, a, a huge element of spirituality for me is, is understanding and embracing and celebrating everything about ourselves, our whole humanity, our whole place in the universe. Sexuality is definitely a piece of that. When we let shame in, what it does is it stunts our sexuality, and therefore we are not able to engage in the universe in a fully authentic spiritual way. And I think that, that hurts us collectively. It takes away from some of the universal energy. I think it takes away from the joy, and I think it takes away from a sense of, of interconnectedness. So by embracing ourselves and our sexuality and decreasing shame, I think that we can add to the, the wholeness of the universe and create a, a, a positive input into our spiritual selves. Mm. Yeah, that's really important. So um, what, what, what else about, uh, about shame uh, would you like to talk about for today's show? I think it's a really um, interesting kind of re reflective idea to think about what we find sexy in someone else. So if we're starting on this journey of moving from shame to courage, what we might do is think about who we have found sexy or sexually attractive or, you know, a person that has gotten us, you know, turned on or that we emulate. And usually a, a pretty common theme in that area is confidence. Well, the opposite of confidence is pretty much shame. So if reducing shame and conquering shame, if the steps to doing that seem scary, if they seem like vulnerability is too risky, I think, you know, having that incentive of, wow, what looks really sexy to other people is confidence and comfort in our own skin, then it might be a good incentive to take that chance and explore all this shame work and work to conquer it. Because when I think about working with couples and working with people and talking with friends and being with partners, an overwhelming piece of what resonates 
it's not a size two. It's not having a perfect figure or bleached white teeth or a perfect hairdo or amazing pecs or a, or a six pack of abs. It's confidence. And I think that we can see that now more and more with the body positivity movement, that people are beautiful in all shapes and sizes and that confidence is what creates beauty. Loving yourself creates confidence. And therefore, we don't have to worry if there's an extra roll or some cellulite or, you know, someone's penis isn't as big as what we see in a porn or somebody doesn't have the, you know, hasn't mastered squirting. We can start to let all that go as long as we like what we have and who we have, who, who we, sorry, who we are, what we have and who we are. We don't probably have to worry about being ashamed of anything. Mm. Yeah, and how freeing that will be, you know, if we stop doing this to ourselves. Absolutely. It's, it's you know, it's being able to jump out of bed naked and walk to the kitchen and get a glass of water. It's something as simple as that. And I, I it's hard to even imagine the, the disruption in the mood when it's, you know, but wait, you know, don't turn the light on yet. I have to get my robe or you know, oh, don't kiss me right now. I don't want to, I can't bear to see what I taste like. Or, you know, um, I, I just, when, when, when all those things are gone, then fun comes back to sex. Laughing comes back to sex. Smiling comes back to sex. Also, what goes away is secrecy and betraying and, and hiding things. Because if somebody really, really, really wants to, you know, dress up in high heels and put on women's lingerie and they identify as male and that's what works for them and they can't do that with their primary partner and so they go out and seek that in other places, then that can be a cause of 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 issue of pain and and distrust and, you know, all kinds of bad things in a relationship. And if we can just say, Wow, that's cool, that's what turned you on and you like that, doesn't hurt me. You can walk around and you know, thigh high stockings and pumps and, you know, lace panties all you want. That's cool. And I think that it's just a much more welcoming and it creates trust. It creates intimacy. It strengthens those bonds. Mm, definitely. But, yeah. Mm. It's so interesting tell us a little that, bit more about, about yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go on. Oh, it's just interesting to me that people um, – would be so fearful. I, I can understand the fear around it, but I wish they could see the other side to that sense of freedom and to that sense of exploration and that sense of frivolity, just that sense of fun around sex and that it's there for us. I mean, there's a lot of heartache in this world. There's a lot of pain in this world. And if sex is there for us to enjoy and have pleasure around and kind of let our hair down, I would hope more people would want to embrace that. Mm. Definitely. So tell us a little bit more about your work. Do you have any upcoming projects? And I, I know you do um, individual coaching, therapy, workshop, workshop sorry. Mm -hmm. So uh, people can go to your website and check out your work. Yes. And, and I'm, I am uh, just um, updating it and getting some more stuff on there. We've got a sexy consent workshop coming up on the 21st of this month here in Las Vegas. And I offer periodic 
um, Kink 101 workshops, and those are for people who want to either know more about it or be able to have that dialogue with their partner and get some tools around those conversations, or try to understand it if it's something their partner's into that they're not sure about. So it really is just a 101. I am definitely um, continuing my work learning about um, being trans in our culture and um, working within the trans community to um, elevate the therapeutic experience for folks in our community who identify as trans and for their families. So that's an area that, mm. I, that is near and dear to me. Um, mm. yeah. yeah, people can, that's really, um, that's really. yeah, yeah, people can check out, um, I've got a, an email subscription that they can sign on to at uh, drshameless.com, and if they would like to get ongoing um, tips and tidbits and suggestions, worksheets, um, I plan on doing classes on reduce, we did, ooh, we did, um, Oral, oral Sex and Shame is a two-part workshop that I'm sure we will be uh, repeating, and I did that with a uh, fellow Las Vegas sex education specialist. Uh, her name is Sex Coach Nikki, and we collaborated and put that on a few months ago, and that went really, really well. And I think that having those spaces to explore the conversations, um, obtain the vocabulary, practice those skills in a safe place, is really important. And I know that some people might be like, oh my God, I don't want to go to a sex workshop. It's going to be weird. And I'm not weird. And it's going to be crazy. I think we can, we can realize that everybody's just a person. We all put our pants on one leg at a time and everybody shows up who they are and how they are. And from what I've seen, everybody comes with a really embracing and loving and accepting attitude. And that's been really nice. So I'm grateful for the community around that. Yeah, it's really important to be able to have a community then we don't feel um, quite so isolated. And um, mm -hmm. it's really important to also, you know, not be looking so uh, inward and uh, uh, all the time. It really doesn't serve us. Yeah, I think that when we look around, about, you know, I... I surround myself with really good people and we have pretty frank and, and honest conversations. And I realize that I might describe somebody as beautiful and smart and engaging and lively and funny, and they might not really identify themselves that way. And so having those spaces to get that kind of reflection and then to really absorb it and take it on is important. So if somebody doesn't think that they have a particularly hot body and you know, but they're getting messages from their friends that says, you're beautiful and wonderful and attractive and amazing. I think it, it can really help and go a long way toward getting rid of some of this negativity and negative self-talk. Mm. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that's become more and more popular, I, you know, living in Las Vegas and having been here nearly 20 years, we are definitely a, a, a kind of a very looks-based and materialistic community, unfortunately, on some levels. And one of the things, as an example, that I help, that I think helps perpetuate the the ideas around shame, are things like the vagin, you know, vaginoplasty. So it's plastic surgery to change the 
the shape and the look of the vulva and of the, you know, the outer labia and maybe even the inner labia, I don't know. There are, you know, creams and tinctures and things that people use to make their vagina smaller and make their penis bigger. So I think that we need to kind of be astute and critical consumers and look at the motivation behind some of these products and procedures and ask ourselves, what's wrong with us the way we are? Why, why am I listening to this mass media marketing effort that's telling me how wrong my body is? I was made this way, so it probably is okay. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, just looking around and questioning things is a great start. Mm, yeah, that's very important to not just take everything at face value and to ask ourselves deeper. So yeah, yeah, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Shameless. Be sure to check out her website, that's drshameless.com, and also she's on Twitter, Facebook as drshameless702. So in the meantime, have a great week ahead, listener. And next week, I have another guest. Two more episodes to the end of the year. And after that, I'll be taking a break from Arrow's Evolution for a while. So yes, stay tuned next week and have a great week ahead. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.